come with me please then to Genesis chapter 39, book of Genesis, 39th chapter. I want you to find that. I want you to follow me through it in a moment or two. Story of Potiphar's wife and Joseph, although it is thousands of years old, it still resonates in our hearts today. It is a classic tale of forbidden fruit. An older woman desperately trying to seduce a younger man. A married woman who's fallen for a single man. It's about a scorned woman who seeks revenge. Hell hath no fury. And all of that. It's a story of betrayal, of reprisal, of lies, blame, an angry husband, a story of injustice, and the whole sorry mess. And it truly is a mess to behold. If Potiphar's wife and Joseph were alive today, I could imagine the tabloid press would be going into overdrive. And the red tops, as they call them, uh, would be vying to make the best headline. I could imagine the Daily Express saying something like, rich, bored housewife of high-ranking government official accuses staff member of rape. Or maybe if it was the Daily Mail, foreign worker abuses privileged position, attacks boss's wife. Or if it was the Sun or the Daily Star, the kings of headlines. I think it would be something like this. Joe had a go. (laughs) Mrs. P said no. Husband said Joe got a go. (laughs) The reason that this story, I believe, one of the reasons that it's in the Bible is because God knows that it touches a raw nerve. Every single man or woman, without exception, has been or could be subject to such a temptation as this. This is the one primal urge that would overwhelm, overcome men and women and cause them to do things that maybe ordinarily they would never dream of doing, but caught up in the moment sometimes. They feel and they fall, and it causes great hurt. Much damage, not only to the individuals concerned, but to the families and to society at large and in general. So we want to have a a look at this story and yet be encouraged because we remember the scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. that says that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but... God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so we want to begin reading Genesis chapter 39 and following right through to the end, commenting as we go. And uh, the story may be fairly familiar to most of you, I'm not sure. Uh, But it is a fascinating story. 
And so it begins, Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. This is the second time that Joseph has been sold for money. The first time treacherously by his own brothers who were jealous and envious of his standing with his parents. Now he stood upon the slave block in the market. And it just so happens that that day, as the Ishmaelites were obviously trying to get some profit, a quick return on their money, that Potiphar woke up that morning, decided that he needed to expand his household, went down to the market to run his eye over the daily intake of slaves. And his eye caught this young Hebrew slave. No doubt he bargained and got the best price he could possibly get. Now this man Potiphar was a high-ranking official of Pharaoh. In fact, he was the chief executioner. He was of the elite bodyguard. And so he had a very privileged position but access to the king almost at all times. He's also in charge of the king's prison. And so he was a very wealthy man, a very influential man, and uh, obviously added to want, wanted to add to his retinue of servants and slaves. And so it says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Three times in this chapter it tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. It's reminding us that in spite of what we read and the circumstances that Joseph found himself in through no fault of his own, but behind the scenes God was in complete control and that God was with Joseph. That's a good thing for us to remember when it seems everything is out of control, when it's out of our hands, when oftentimes stuff happens of which we had no control, did not expect to happen, but it happened nonetheless. It's good to remember that God behind the scenes sees all of that and that He's with us through everything. So the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now he took up his post and almost immediately uh, Potiphar could see that this young man was special, that he was different than any other slave he ever had, that he had unique qualities. First of all, I'm sure he noticed immediately that he was a very religious man. He was a man that worshipped his God diligently. He had also noticed that he was a very honest man, man of integrity, of the highest integrity, as every believer should be. So all of these things were catching his eye, and he would see that he took to this job like a duck to water, never complained, got on with his job, uh, did it with excellence, never moaned and groaned the fact that he was away from home, that he was now a slave, uh, but yet he just took it all in his stride, seemingly. And so... It goes on to say, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had 
made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him. And so very quickly, Joseph established himself as an excellent worker, somebody with integrity, with honesty, somebody that could be trusted, somebody that would be faithful. And Potiphar, a smart man, uh, was quick to notice all of this. And so therefore, says, then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had put under his authority. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And so over a period of time, you can see how Joseph... Uh, rose up through the ranks of the servants in Potiphar's household, and to now he holds top place. He is the chief steward. In fact, this man trusts him so much that everything he owns and everything he has, he puts into this young slave's hands. That is a high recommendation, is it not? Except, it says, for the bread which he ate. Now, that may be a casual remark, but I think it maybe needs a little bit more than that. Uh, in Genesis 43, verse 32, it tells us there that the Egyptians... Now, remember, this is before the Pharaoh gave Joseph great favor, uh, that the Egyptians really did not like the Hebrews. So much so, in fact, that Genesis 43, verse 32, tells us that they would not even eat with them an abomination to eat with them. And so perhaps even though he put everything into Joseph's hands when it came to his food, then obviously that, that would be a, a, a step too far. They'd have to keep some distance between them. And that was probably, that's, there's, that, that's what that's there for. Now it says, Now Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. Actually, those words that are used are the exact same words to describe his mother, Rachel. And so it's obvious that he inherited his mother's genes. His mother was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And so this young man grows up inheriting those genes, and now he is a very, very handsome and attractive young man. He would be a cross between George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp, how am I doing, ladies? Is that okay? Probably was quite tall, broad shoulders, slim waist. Am I doing okay? Probably hair as dark as a raven's wing, big, deep brown eyes. And so you can see that this young man was a very, very handsome, attractive young man. And as much as all these other attributes caught the eye of his boss, Potiphar, but certainly his flesh, his appearance, caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now, I can imagine that this took a while. Remember, there's lots of slaves in the household. 
And so he was just quietly coming up through the ranks till he comes into this prominent position. And now he is in the family home just about every day. This is his workplace now, even though it's their family home. And so she's seeing much more of him. And the more she sees of him, something's stirring within her. And it's not good. There is an illicit passion rising up in her heart. She'd have stopped it. She'd have put the brakes on it. But she didn't. And I could imagine it would start out quite casual. I suppose that it began with flirting. She'd be flirtatious. And I'm sure that every day she thought about him. And when she'd go to bed at night and sleep, she'd dream about him. And she got up the next day and she'd still be thinking about him. And I could imagine her checking her wardrobe in the morning, figuring that if Joseph comes today, then I've I got to look my best. And she'd look in the mirror and, and, and look at the, maybe the backless dress. Maybe wear that today. Or that little red number that my husband likes so much. Or the little cut one. And she'd make sure that if Joseph was about, that she would suggestively brush past him. Slow enough that he may smell the Coco Chanel. And so that would go on for a period. But Joseph, to his credit, was having none of it. And she probably couldn't understand that. I mean, she'd think, look at me. It's never been a problem before, you know. I don't think this was the first time for this lady. And now, what became flirtatious now became a raging desire and now it became something much more and much deeper. And there was no stopping her. She was on his trail. And she was going to do whatever it would take to get this young man. And in the end, probably after trying everything she knew, try every trick in the book, and Joseph was taking no notice. In the end, she couldn't hold back and she was blatant and she says, lie with me. Many affairs starts in the workplace. Many an affair starts with flirting. With a roving eye. So she cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. He refused. There's probably not one in a million people who would have refused her, certainly not a slave. Because a slave would have thought, well, I can't afford to miss a chance like this. And if I refuse... She's the mistress of the house. It's going to spell trouble for me. 
But Joseph point blank refused and said, no. Fair play to Joseph. Because he was the one on the million. Because he was godly. He said, no. Now, he was a good young man. He didn't want any involvement with this woman. But she was the mistress, so he was courteous. Listen to his reply. And said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Now I see how courteous he is, and see how he's trying to tell her, Hey, this is not right. You're a married woman. You're his wife. It's my boss. You can't do this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so to Joseph, he saw this two ways. He saw this as a great wickedness, particularly against his boss. He wasn't going to be disloyal to his boss. But more than that, he saw it as a great sin against God. And that's really, truly what kept him on the right track on the rails. He thought, this is a sin against God. Now remember, here's a young man. He's away from home. His brothers despised him, sold him to the Ishmaelites. He's a slave in a foreign country. I mean, he could have rationalized. He could have said, well, God, you know, you deserted me a long time ago because look at the state of men. Look at what's happened to me. But he never did. He never did. He always felt God was with him. But he could have rationalized. He could have said, well, everybody's human. I mean, after all, I'm a young man. I've got feelings. I've got desires. I, I, my mom and dad's not around. There's nobody here that knows me. I'm just a slave. But he didn't. And he made sure he didn't. And he always kept this thought in front of him. I will not do this for God's sake. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And probably all of us could resist any temptation if we kept that thought in mind. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, Devil doesn't give up easily. Sure he doesn't. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. She probably thought, I'll just wear him down. He'll give in. He's a bit scared of my husband and he's probably in fear of his life and his job, but he's got this religious thing about his God, but sure there's lots of gods. and I'll just keep, I'll just keep at this. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her, or to be with her. He tried his very best, as much as he possibly could, as much as his job would allow, to try to even avoid being around her. That's a good thing, isn't it? To try to avoid it at all costs. It was difficult for him because it was his workplace. He had to be there every day. 
I can imagine he would go to work every day dreading it. Like, oh dear, not the day again. Look at her. This has just gone beyond. God, help me today. Please, give me grace today. I can imagine that was his heart every day, going to work. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. I wonder, I wonder did she, knowing Joseph was coming that day, I wonder did she say to her, stop, look, there's work needs done in the garden today or in the outhouse. Look, that needs painted that room over there. You go over there and do that and I'll take care of inside. Don't you worry, I, you just you go over there and do that. Because she was a schemer, a conniver. And now she's got this passion that will not stop. It's amazing what people will do and the lengths they will go to when they're driven by something like this. And so she made sure the house was empty. Reminds me of a husband and wife. They're sitting one Saturday night and the phone rang. The husband entered the hall and answered the phone and his wife could hear him saying, no, I'm sorry, no, no, sorry, you must have got the wrong number. And so he came in and sat down beside her and she said, who was that? Oh, I said it was the wrong number. But, but who was it? Well, he said it was somebody from the Met office. What did they want? He said, I don't know what it was. They, they asked me, was the coast clear? Some of you will get that about 3 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> well, this woman was making sure the coast was clear. Do you get it now? All right, okay. If you have to explain a joke, it's not very good one, sure, isn't it? She was making sure the coast was clear. <laughs> and so... <clears throat> it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now things are getting desperate. This woman is beyond. She grabbed him by the coat, and from what we can see, she probably tore it off him. There's some temptations you can stand and fight. There's others you've got to run from. And Joseph was not going to fight this anymore. He was going to run for his life as far away as he could get away from this woman. Something had to give, and he was going to make sure it wasn't going to be him. And so he fled, and he ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, now listen, Lust has turned to revenge. When she couldn't get what she wanted, she was going to make sure she was going to ruin this young man. Instead of admiring him for his integrity and his faithfulness to the household, she decided she's going to destroy him. But note what she does. Adultery always seeks justification. Always wants to blame somebody. 
Note what she does. See, he, speaking of her husband, he has brought into us, speaking of the slaves, a Hebrew. Now she's playing the racial card. A Hebrew to mock us. They had nothing to do with it. They had absolutely nothing to do with it. They probably saw the shenanigans going on because they had probably been through the same thing at some point, but they had nothing to do with this. Her husband had nothing to do with it either. But she's got to blame somebody, anybody, only herself. Now let me just add something here. Not in any way wanting to excuse what this woman has done. It is inexcusable. But Potiphar says, was an officer of Pharaoh. He was the chief executioner. The word is Chamberlain. And Chamberlains, almost without exception, were eunuchs. Were emasculated men. Because they would have direct access into Pharaoh and all his court and those kings would make sure that any man coming into their court, especially around their harems, would be eunuchs. Now, whether, whether he was like this before he met his wife, and she, perhaps out of prestige or wanting a position of power and influence or wanting money, went along with it and married him knowing what he was, knowing there would never be any physical relationship between them, or maybe this happened while they were married, and they both decided for his career, which would be a great fillet for her with her slaves and her household and all that goes with that, that she went along with that. But either way, she is inexcusable. And now she's at the place where she's going to ruin, as she thinks, this young man's life. And so she blames her husband. And then she says, look, look what he's brought into us. Now, you can imagine that those slaves were somewhat jealous of Joseph. I mean, he, he had come, they were, they were probably Egyptian slaves. He had come in as a rank outsider, a foreigner, and before you know it, he's head of the whole household. I bet you that went down like a lead balloon. And she knew that. And so she's stirring them up too. See how crafty she is. See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And so she kept his garment with her until his master had come home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. Now, she doesn't get the servants involved this time. She really stirred them up. She didn't need any more to do that. But she said to her husband, It's your fault. If you hadn't have brought him into this house, see what you've done? You brought in this young, handsome man here. You've elevated him to the head of the household. He's here every day. You see how he's betrayed your loyalty and your your grace to him. See what's happened? And you put me in a, a, a position like I'm in uh, and, and in a moment of weakness and all the rest of it, he's come to me thinking I was vulnerable and all the rest of it. And look what's happened to me. She's doing everything 
to shift the blame. Except point to herself. Verse 19. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife had spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Hmm. Do you know I've read that story dozens of times over the years? And I always, always assumed that his anger was totally and completely directed towards Joseph. But I'm not so sure anymore. And I'll tell you why. Here's why. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. He realized that Potiphar had every right, every right, and he was the chief of the executioners. It was within his rights, there would not have been a magistrate in the land would have lifted a finger against him if he executed Joseph for supposedly raping his wife. He's just a slave. And he could have done that, but he didn't do it. In fact, he didn't even make him a common criminal. He made him a political prisoner. He put him in the king's prison. The same place where the baker and the butler, Pharaoh's baker and the butler went. Now, it didn't mean it was an easy place to be, because Psalm 105 tells us that they put him in irons. But I think he was angry for a number of reasons. Yes, he might have been angry with Joseph, but I think he knew who his wife was, knew what she was like, and I think he was angry with her, and I think he was angry with himself for not keeping a better eye on the situation. Remember, he put everything into their hands. And I think he was angry. You know, in Daniel chapter 6, it talks about King Darius. And King Darius had appointed 120 princes, captains, satraps, the Bible call them what you will, over all of his empire. And over the 120, he appointed three governors. And of the three governors, Daniel was one, and he favored Daniel above the three and above the whole 120. That's what he was planning to do, to make him head over all. And the 120 didn't like it. And so they come up with a plan in order to prevent this. And they went to the king, King Darius, kings of the Medes and the Persians, and they said, live, O king, forever. And they come up with this plan. They said, listen, we want you to make a decree. And the decree is, for the next 30 days, if anybody in the kingdom asks a petition of either any man or any god except you, king, he's to die. Of course, that flattered the king, didn't it? And he signed a decree. The laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be altered. Now, they had tried to find something against Daniel regarding, his, regarding the kingdom, regarding his work, and they could find nothing because an accent spirit was in him. So they said, well, find something regarding his God. He's very diligent. He's very dedicated to his God. So let's work that against him. And so... Of course, when Daniel knew that the decree was signed, what did he do? He had inside his house, prayed three times a day as he did a fourth time. They knew that, so they went to the king and says, King, remember we said about this decree and you signed it? Yes, I remember. 
Cannot be broken, sure it can't. No, it cannot be broken. My word cannot be broken. Okay then, well, here's what's happened. Daniel did not respect that. He's praying to his God. And it says the king was sore displeased. Not with Daniel, but with himself. He realized he'd been tricked and trapped. And he tried everything to get out of that, but he couldn't. He'd given his word. He signed a decree. And you know the rest of the story about Daniel in the lion's den. I think this man was angry for a number of reasons. I think he's angry himself. I think he's angry his wife. Yes, maybe he was angry with Joseph too. But his anger was aroused. But he could have killed him, but he didn't. I think he thought about it and thought, there's more to this. There's much more to this story. I know this fellow Joseph. He's a loyal, faithful young man. I've never, ever found fault in him. There's something more to this. I think that was his attitude. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him favor and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Wherever they did, whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Ah. I wonder, I wonder what happened to Potiphar and his wife because in two years' time from this, God had elevated Joseph to be prime minister of all of Egypt. <laughs> to be over the whole land under Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh had the dream, couldn't interpret it. Remember how Joseph had been interpreting the dreams of the butler and the baker, Pharaoh's butler and baker? He said to the baker, your head's going to be taken off your shoulders, and it was. He said to the butler, you're going to be reinstated into your position again, and he was. And then when Pharaoh couldn't remember the dream, the butler says, yeah, I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy in prison. I was in with him, and he interpreted my dreams exactly as, as it happened exactly as he said. Pharaoh said, send for him. It was Joseph. And of course, remember, he interpreted the dream of the seven lean years, the seven fat years, so forth, and, and how he put him in charge of everything. I wonder how Potiphar and Potiphar's wife felt about that. I wonder, were they afraid? Now, we know that Joseph was not a vindictive, vengeful person. We know that because of how he treated his brothers who betrayed him, sold him. And how he loved them and forgave them and helped them. So I can't imagine for one moment that he'd be vengeful towards Potiphar and his wife. I don't think he even said a word. He just let God vindicate him. But I wonder how they felt. Well, we don't know because the Bible never ever mentions them again. They're gone forever into history. But I'm sure Potiphar at least looked at that young man and thought, hmm, his God looks after him, whoever his God is, because when it says that Potiphar 
recognized that the Lord was with him. Of course, he didn't know Jehovah God. <laughs> but whoever's God he served, he's certainly with him. And I think Potiphar looked and thought, I wonder did he say to other people, you know, he used to work for me. Do you know that? You know, he used to be in my house. He's a great fellow, that. <laughs> he really is. He's a wonderful young man. <laughs> you know, he's about 30 years of age now, Joseph. wonder what his wife thought. All her lies, all her conniving, all her blame, all her self-justification, all of that came to nothing. Even though she tried to destroy the young man, but because he was honorable and because he trusted God, because he put God first, God elevated him right to the very top. Amen. So many lessons in this, isn't there? So many more things we probably could have and should have said, but we're running out of time. But lessons to learn, isn't there? You know what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 12? Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. There is no person, not one, beyond this. If sin grips our heart, unless it would be the grace of God, unless we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, there's nobody that's beyond what we have just read. Alan Redpath, one of the greatest British preachers of old, one time he was preaching at a big convention. I think it might have been Keswick, famous convention. And he ended his sermon by saying this. He said, 30 seconds after I preach, there is not one sin I could not commit. There's a gasp in the congregation. Except for God's grace. Except for God's grace. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're mindful that these recorded stories in the Bible are there for our admonition. Not that we become proud and boastful, but we become humble and say, Lord, we need your grace and we need your mercy every single day. And we thank you, Lord, for Joseph and for his integrity and his honesty and for his faithfulness, not only to his employer and his friend, but most of all to you, to your honor and to your glory. So, Lord, would you help us live our lives to your honor and to your glory? And, Lord, when temptation of any description comes, be it that or something else, Lord, that we remember who we are and who you are, that we learn to say no to that which is wrong and say yes to that which is right. So we give you the glory today and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. It not only saves us from sin, that forgives us our sins when we do sin. For Lord, even if we fall, in your mercy we can stand again if we truly and honestly repent. So we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.